Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Ann Emerson. We've got a special bonus episode for you today. I'm speaking to Eva Pilgrim. She's anchor and correspondent for ABC News, who's been working on the Murdoch story for 2020. We sat down to talk about her experience covering the Murdoch cases for the 2020 special that aired Friday, January 14th. Eva is a South Carolina native and has been immersed in the saga for months. She and I discuss what it's been like working on the story and the big takeaways for her after the 2020 special. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. And remember to rate and review the podcast. It's a big help for us. <laughs> We're following a developing story, this one out of Colleton County. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Double homicide involving a mother and son. Both deaths resulting from apparent gunshot wounds. In this town, nobody questioned the Murdochs for 100 years. You know, powerful people make powerful enemies. You commit a murder in the 14th Circuit, the odds of you going to death row are high. From the studios of WCIV ABC News 4 in Charleston, this is the podcast Unsolved South Carolina. Case file number one, the Murdochs. You know, we we were talking about this months ago, uh, you and I, just kind of going back and forth about all of the different uh, parts to the cases here. It is so many different uh, cases to keep track of and to be watching evolve. I mean, it, it really, it, it, Murdoch is like a full-time job. Well, and any one of these other cases would be normally a story in and of itself if you were covering it, and that would be complicated enough. But then you have all of these things that have gone together in some way, whether or not they're legally tied to each other or in, in rumor tied to each other that you're just kind of following around that makes this one really complicated. Um, and I think that's where the two hours for us really helps because we're able to sort of, you know, we're able to lay it out kind of in time so that you can see as things occurred and then go back to kind of answer some of the questions that we didn't know. So it makes a, hopefully makes it make more sense for the person watching it because it is just it's so many people to keep track of it's so many cases to keep track of what goes with what I mean you you literally need a spreadsheet you absolutely do it looks like you had a war room it looked like um what we saw um I saw in the promo clips you you literally like have a Murdoch war room where you're like laying out on the walls like this is where Luther's is. And uh, we were talking about that amongst ourselves. And just once we saw that video and I was like, what a brilliant way to do it because that's what it literally, you need to visually see where you're going with this story all the time. 
Well, and what are the questions left to be answered, right? Because there's so many different moving parts of the story. So it's easy to get lost in the chaos of it as we've been covering it. But what you really have to do journalistically is, is hunker down and look at, okay, here's what we do know. Here's what we don't know. Are these questions going to be answered? And then here are the questions that may never be answered, right? And, and kind of separate things out, organize it that way, just to keep track of what's being investigated. Well, and that's what we did too with the podcast. We just took it chronologically the best we could. Um, and sometimes when it didn't work out chronologically, uh, what we did was we just broke it down by the cases. I mean, the big the big parts, this, the Satterfields, the, the Mallory Beaches, broke it down by the families, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I found the same thing with the Mallory Beach story. I mean, literally, I, I started really wanting to go into that story and because there's so much dash cam and audio and testimonies and and you find this with all the cases really right but with Mallory Beach it literally needed for me it needed three different episodes you know it was the before the during and the after so much was going on with just that case alone that y'all really had to do an hour yeah so the whole first hour of this is the Mallory Beach case right so that we kind of lay out what they were doing leading up to the boat crash what happened on the night of the boat crash the aftermath of the boat crash and then what happened after there was this double murder that happened in their community that then brought the boat crash back into the attention of everyone again which you know i think the boat crash was brought up because that name was associated paul murdoch's name was associated with the boat crash and what i think what people forgot and didn't think about was it also opened this wound for this family again, who hadn't healed from what happened. They still don't have closure today from the loss of their daughter. They're, they have so many unanswered questions. They want someone to be held accountable. And it's not just one person that they're looking at when they look at the night of that boat crash that they think should be held accountable for what happened that night. They think there are lots of people that should be called into question and that need to answer some tough questions. His brother's the one that gave him his ID to use to buy alcohol illegally. His dad is the one who never made him be accountable for his actions. I wanted accountability. I wanted Paul to just own up to, yes, I was driving the boat. It was an accident, I'm sorry. And. And you know, talking to her parents, you you know immediately. I mean, within two seconds of speaking to her parents, the heartache that they still feel. It is very raw and very real for them still today. That boat crash happened in February 2019. Her life meant something. For us, she was our baby. We had to defend her honor. They are just now able to sort of put into words the hurt that they feel and the questions that they have, you know, and, and, and that's just one part of the story. And I think that's where, when we were structuring all of this together, we were trying to get all the different people who are involved. You need to hear from these different families because these are real people's lives that have forever been changed. They will never be the same again. 
and they're trying to move on and they're trying to answer questions. And we, we tried to give people watching the two hours a chance to get to know who these victims were and who their families are. And I think that's really important as we cover this case is not to forget all the people whose lives have been damaged. Well, and, and on both sides, right? I mean, the first yeah. interview you did on this was the most, it, it, I mean, I don't want to overuse the word bombshell, but it was like, whoa, we all of a sudden had heard what had happened to the Murdoch family. And all of a sudden you were in the Murdoch home. You're talking to the brothers. Paul was sad. One of his friends was killed. Paul was very sad about that. This was a group of friends who went out on a boat. So very bad things happened. Do you feel like some of the perception of your family has been wrong? Yes. I see words like dynasty used and power. And I don't know exactly how people use those words, but we're just regular people. And I think this perception of power is not right. So you don't think your family has power? I don't view my family that way at all. Looking back at that interview, now you realize, I think we all realize, that those two brothers had no idea what was coming around the corner, that there really was so much that they didn't know. And, you know, they agreed to speak to us because they were wanting to make this public plea for help to find who was responsible for the murder of Maggie and Paul. And so watching that interview, you know, you point out there are so many people on both sides that have been just, their lives have been destroyed in all of this. It's clear they're devastated. It is very much, they are very much grieving the loss of two family members that were brutally murdered. You can't forget that, you know, in, in what happened. And so we, we took that moment because we, we assumed we'd probably never get to speak to them again to ask them about all of this other stuff that was kind of circling their family name and questions that were kind of popping up in the community when we were there visiting. And they were gracious enough to answer a lot of those questions. And I don't, they didn't have the answers to everything. Um, they didn't know about everything, but they, you know, said what they knew. And, um, and it, it's interesting to watch. It is interesting to watch because um, the, 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 just the raw emotion alone, you immediately realize that um, just the, like you said, just to be able to put a, a face to the pain of what all of these families are, go are going through. I imagine they're still um, grappling with it. What is next as far as uh, how you're going to cover it? I mean, just as a reporter and, you know, as a investigating this, I mean, we've done, you know, you've done this two hours on it for 2020, but I mean, the story is like, just, it's just, in some ways, there's so much more that's about to happen. Yeah. I mean, there, it, there's so much left unanswered at this point. And that's kind of how we leave the two hours is here's all these questions that we still don't have answers to and that they're still investigating. And I think as a reporter going forward, we just follow the evidence 
we, we followed the files that were given. We continue to ask questions. And I think it's really important that we don't cast any kind of pre prejudgment as to what we think might be happening next or what how we view people because of what's been out there. I think we have to really take a step back because I think this story has taught us, if nothing else, that you can't prejudge what you think is going to be next because it will the truth will surprise you. And so I think we just have to wait for, for that to come out. And I, I do think the truth will surface uh, about a lot of these questions that are still to be answered. Um, if nothing else, I think we'll have more information going forward at some point about what actually happened. Well, and accountability, you know, I mean, we already know, you know, Alec Murdoch is behind bars right now awaiting trial or awaiting um, more charges. I mean, we're just waiting to see what happens, what, when the, when the next shoe drops, I guess, is the best way. Yeah. To and, you know, it's important to remember, he hasn't pled, you know, to these charges. He, I think a lot of people see what's happened and they, there's this sort of assumption um of guilt. And that's not for me to say that he's not guilty. It's just to say we have to remember to wait for the justice system to play out and to let all of the evidence come to light and let people make their conclusions based on what's put in front of them. And that's what we we really tried to do with the 2020. We were, you know, and you've seen the investigative files for all these cases. They're big, um, but they are chock full of details. And I think when people see all the details together, it's much easier for them to sort of judge uh, for themselves, um, even if there's no answers. Oh, that's great. And you're from South Carolina. So this is um, some of these places probably were very familiar to you. Yeah, no, I mean, the first um, the reason I started covering the story was because I got a text message from a friend that said, oh, my goodness, you're never going to believe what's happening. You have to get on this story. Um, the boat crash, I remember a family member sending me the articles about the boat crash because, you know, as kids growing up in South Carolina, we all spent time on boats. And um, it was, it's something that I think parents worry about is, you know, that you're, something's going to happen to your children on a boat and, uh, and the boat safety aspect of things and what you should and shouldn't be doing on a boat. And, um, and so, you know, I've been following the story for forever. And then as things developed and we, we went down there and um, these are places that I'm, you know, intimately knowledgeable of because of just being from that area. And, and also, you know, living and working in New York and being from South Carolina, I think I, I wanted to make sure people saw South Carolina for how I view South Carolina, right? Which is this idea of close communities, close families. There can be tension in families, but family is family and you take care of each other and community is community, right? You know, most of these people would give the shirt off their back for their neighbor if they really, really needed it. And you know everybody and you know everything that's happening with everybody and their families because you've all grown up together. Um, and you have some connection to them in some way, whether it's through a cousin or a sibling or a parent. And so the, the connective tissue that exists amongst all of these people that are a part of this story 
I mean, this is, that community is in a lot of ways hurting as well. That's a, another kind of character in the story that continues to unfold. And uh, I wanted to make sure we did that justice. Um, I showed you can't that underestimate like the impact of a story like this, just, just the media melee alone um, landing on Hampton, South Carolina, or um, Buford even, you know, these, mm -hmm. these cities, these are little towns. These are small communities that, um, that rely on each other for everything. And it, it yeah. is. It's, well, and you know, when you grow up that closely knit together, you're careful about how you interact with each other because you're going to be there and you know, you know each other's histories, right? So I think, you know, people are respectful and they're, they're you know, really careful about trying to say too much, but not say too much. And it, it's this delicate dance that you have to do because your lives are also carefully intertwined, um, which I think is unique to a small town like that. Thank you so much. I'll let you go. I, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad that we could talk a little bit more because, you know, just from, you know, our time stomping around South Carolina for ABC, I really wanted to get an opportunity to kind of talk about this a little bit more. I know there's going to be more opportunities because this isn't going anywhere for a while. Unsolved South Carolina was brought to you by me, Ann Emerson along with producer Drew Trupp and editor Daniel Michener. Original music by Maxwell Harrison. Coming up, we speak exclusively to the South Carolina Highway Patrol trooper who says Alec Murdoch stole $100,000, money meant to pay his medical expenses after this trooper was injured on the job. It wasn't even close to my signature, so. So somebody forged your signature? Yes, ma'am. And you don't know who that was. You don't know if it was Alec Murdoch, but you know that you didn't sign that paperwork. I don't know who actually physically signed it. I do know that uh, Mr. Murdoch took that money and put it in another account. If you enjoyed listening today, please consider rating and reviewing. It goes a long way to help others discover this podcast. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.